to Trek Companion. This is episode 235. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Voyager's sixth season episodes, Child's Play, Good Shepherd, and Live Fast and Prosper. Here we go. Child's Play, Season 6, Episode 19, Production Code 239. Original air date, March 8, 2000. Directed by Mike Beeger. Story by Paul Brown. Teleplay by Raf Green. Music composed by David Bell. Guest cast include Manu Interemi as Icheb, Marley S. McLean as Mazadi, Curl Weatherall as Azan, Cody Weatherall as Rebbe, Scarlett Palmers as Naomi Wildman, Tracy Ellis as Yifei, Mark A. Shepard as Lucan, and Eric Ritter as Yvel. Seven becomes emotional when Echep's parents are located, and it is assumed he will leave Voyager to rejoin them. However, she later becomes increasingly concerned when it appears that they were not honest about the circumstances of his original assimilization. She discovers that the board did not attack the planet four years ago, meaning his parents were lying. When Seven gives this information to Janeway, the captain turns the ship around and heads back to Brunelli, the Brunelli planet. Come with me. Where? To dinner with your parents. I'm working. You can continue your work after the meal. I don't have anything to talk about with them. And it will be a very quiet evening. Steve, kick us off on Child's Play. This is the one with the Chucky, and he's going around and <laughs> right. killing this. Yes, that one. Yes. Um, I, I like it. I, uh, as I kind of alluded to in the, uh, the premiere of these Borg children, that it's kind of the arc of the Borg children that is more interesting than the premiere of the Borg children. And this is an example of that. I think it's an interesting story that, um, we haven't really seen on, on Trek before this, this, uh, you know, you got a lot, you got a lot going on. I mean, you, you obviously it's as far as our main characters, it's a story of it's a story about how Seven is handling this, um, handling the uh, impending departure of uh, essentially an adopted child of hers. Um, but then the complexities of different cultures, what's going on, the uh, the uh, extremes people will go to for survival. Um, I think I think one of the hardest things to kind of connect with is this notion that anytime anytime parents do something that is sacrificing a child, it's almost hard to buy, especially as a parent. It's hard to um, relate to that kind of thing. You know, I mean, I get that there's a, uh, you know, cultural differences, especially talking about alien races. You, you know, we, we can't even imagine the differences that could be going on there. But um, it's obviously a, a big deal. And um you, you also kind of tap into this whole notion of uh, Seven having some kind of instinct, and uh, Janeway refers to it a, a maternal instinct of, as to the survival of uh, her children and what's going on there. Um, and so due to that, they can head this off and so forth. So it's, it's certainly an interesting story, an interesting insight into a, a um, alien culture. And you get, you know, each have is such an interesting character to in his development and so forth. So, um, yeah, I, I like this. I like this whole arc of the, the Borg children and what's going on with them. Well, it's interesting that Seven's uh, skepticism, you know, I mean, how much of that is just her own feelings for each right. versus, you know, really seeing the situation for what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Adam, your, your first thoughts here? Um, yeah, I'm pretty much in line with Steve here. Um, yeah, I do find these these children. It's an it's an interesting story arc. It's something that's unique to Voyager. You know, they pick, you know, they obviously they would be kind of considered castaways. You know, <laughs> in the most broad sense. But it's interesting having them on the ship for a time um, and them interacting with the crew. You know, we're getting we're starting to get a little bit more um, from the other children. Obviously, Egypt's the main character. We get a, we get a little bit more from the little girl. I mean, the opening. The opening tease I liked, they had this little science fair. It was, it's kind of fun and it's kind of what you would kind of think of in a normal setting with children and, um, you know, crew and a a kind of a family kind of gathering, you know, they're kind of interacting in this kind of social thing. And it kind of gives the children an opportunity to kind of interact socially with the crew too, with the science, um, the science fair. So I I thought that was an interesting um, idea to kind of do to do with these these kids and it and it kind of worked out worked out well and then obviously they could throw Naomi in there as well 
you know, it's 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 hard to kind of imagine what it's like for this culture, you know, being completely decimated. I mean, what when they entered orbit, they said, you know, there were pockets of um, 10,000 people here and there. So, I mean, you know, basically the civilization it kind of has gone through an uh, apocalyptic event with the with the Borg coming in and attacking them and, you know, taking their civilization. So it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to square, you know, what what people will do to survive. Um, I don't know if the the episode or they had enough time to kind of really dive into that fully. You know, obviously, you know the it's the in the later half of the episode when we find out that the, um, Egypt's parents are you know sending him basically on a suicide mission. So you I mean you kind of get that, but you kind of get that in the broadest sense. So if there's a, a failing in this episode, it's I think it's maybe more the hardship that they didn't drive home so much about what this civilization kind of went through the loss, the destruction, um, um, you know, kind of the sorrow that kind of they went through to kind of make these decisions to genetically alter their children to attack the Borg. Um, so you kind of get that in the broad sense. I would have would have liked a little bit more there. But other, other than that, I mean, I thought it was a good solid episode. I do kind of wonder if this episode had just been more of a straight drama, if there hadn't been this, the twist and uh, you know, oh, by the way, listeners, sorry, I'm coming off a bit of a cold. So <clears throat> sorry if I sound a little funny, but, you know, if it had just been a little bit more of a straight drama to see how seven would deal with, you know, legitimately finding each other, or especially let's imagine this episode a year from now, or, or, you know, after toward the end of season seven, after seven's really grown, grown close to each have and stuff. And, and, you know, we close out the character that way or something. I don't know. Yeah, I, I realize that's an entirely different episode, but there was just, I guess what I'm saying is there was just this tiny part of me that as I was watching it was reminded of that, you know, that nagging feeling that um, they always have to find some kind of a sinister thing, you know, to turn a sinister turn or there's always going to be some kind of a, you know, action beat or whatever. Um, and uh, it felt just the tiniest bit forced, like, I guess so. It's not fair to compare this episode to something that it's not or that it wasn't trying to be. But again, you know, watching it from modern eyes, like it felt like it should have gone maybe in a different direction than it did. I don't know. Let me ask the, ask the question this way Did they make this episode because they wanted to give us insight into who Egypt's family and parents were? Or because they wanted to show us that Icheb was uh, genetically manipulated to have this thing to kill Borg or something. Those are two very, very different uh, episodes. And I felt a little bit more like the latter was more important to them than the former. Yeah. But these are minor, minor comments, you know? Well, I mean, I kind of felt like the kind of the just, the primary purpose of the episode was um, it's, if it's, if it's, if it's anybody's episode, it's a seven episode, you know, cause you, you know, what Steve was alluding to earlier, you know, you get, she's very defensive of each up, you know, cause she's grown. So, you know, she's kind of got the parental instincts, you know, she feels responsible for him and the other children's and she's become very closely attached to him. Also kind of, you know, they alluded to in the episode, it brings up her own experiences of being um, separated from her parents and going through all that experience in, in her life. So I kind of felt like that was kind of more of the crux of what they were trying to do in this episode. It was more more about Seven, um, and they just kind of utilized each up to bring out that, you know, her her parental and her you know her instincts to 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 want to protect these children um, because of of her experiences in her childhood. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say uh, what they were prioritizing. It was a plot or character, but I think that's kind of one of these transitional things to modern television versus past television kind of conversations as well, because we recognize that as a plot device. It, I mean, I'm I'm not saying. Gen this is just generally speaking, but the farther back you go with this kind of stuff, the more these kind of plot points are the priority versus a character development thing. And that's why today you tell the story and you probably wouldn't have the twist that the parents, parents are sinister, nor would you have 
Um, it wouldn't matter why the Borg children were infected with this thing and the Borg ship blew up in the past. They just set that aside because the, the important thing is the development of the characters and so on. So I think that's why we view it in that lens now where it, it seems like it's, it's kind of overly p- plot driven maybe when you have convoluted points, especially when you, when you question I get, kind of what I alluded to at the beginning is like, I think it, it's, it's really hard to buy from, you know, from my standpoint that, you know, it's got to be really desperate situations. You're sacrificing your son to them and doing this kind of thing. And then you get him back and then you just do it again. And it's like, okay, great, you know, fine. And it also seems almost like a cop out. I mean, I don't want to go too far with that, but you know, it's, it's a way to, you know, get him back and everything reset, you know, per old television, um, where now you could, have him go off for several episodes and um you know then later on down the line you have your skepticism and come back to it or whatever else um anyway that that's i think it's just kind of viewing something that's nearly 20 years old in the lens of now to some extent but it's it's that plot versus character point is this episode about anything yeah i mean they're trying to talk i mean with with seven they're trying to talk about her parental instincts this is more about her you know her growth as in humanity, I kind of, that's what I took away from it. I mean, they're you obviously using Egypt. He's a big part of this episode. Um, but I mean, you know, seven is our main character. So that's kind of the way the lens I chose to look at it through. I mean, you kind of could say that it, this was an Egypt episode or was this a seven episode? Um, I, I tend to look at it as a, as a seven episode. And this is just a continuation of her growth in her humanity. You know, we get to see that like I was saying before, you know, her, her paternal instincts kind of come out, her, her instincts to protect those who she loves, um, you know, to go against, you know, kind of the grain to do that. Um, so I think that's what they were kind of trying to, that's what this episode's about. It's just about the continuation of seven of nine and her, her humanity, um, coming out more and more. Um, I think what they, you know, I mean, you can kind of talk about, it's kind of an underlying theme, you know, they're talking about, you know, what, what, what will you do to survive? That's a question that they're asking here is like, um, if your society is under threat or your family's under threat, um, how far will you go to protect, um, said family or said society? I think what's interesting about this is that they, they do focus on seven and it becomes a seven episode. And I think what you want to do is focus on the main characters. But to me, the most interesting aspect of this is from each perspective, the whole notion that he's getting all these opportunities. He's doing something he loves on the ship. He's advancing. And yet within a very small amount of time, he rejoins his family and starts to, you know, fall into that instinct of wanting to be accepted and, and into your family and doing things for your culture, doing things for your people and that kind of thing. And so I, I think, I think what might, this might've benefited from more from is, is focusing on that is that it's an interesting dynamic that, you know, no matter how, you know, each have such a smart on kind of guy, but he still, that acceptance of one's parents is such a instinctual key component that he fell into that too. And, um, that would, that's the, that's the thing I thought was most interesting about this episode. Um, but, um, that kind of took a backseat in a way to what they had, the story they had to tell about seven's role in it. But nonetheless, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. You know, I think it just was kind of divided in terms of what they were trying to say. Let's do six degrees for child's play. Uh, The questions I have for child's play are very, very lame. I'm sorry. Nobody came back, and what are you going to do? Let's see. Uh, Mark A. Shepard plays Echep's dad. Mark A. Shepard's dad was W. Morgan Shepard, and he appeared on Voyager in the episode Bliss, where everyone thinks the bad alien is a wormhole except which Voyager crew member. So I'm not really asking about Mark Shepard. I'm asking about his dad, who was also an actor. And, um, but, you know, Mark A. Shepard played Echep's dad. So, sort of. And I should point out that Mark A. Shepard is no relation to uh, the guy that played Morn who I think was Mark Allen Shepard. No relation, not the same person. So, uh, oh, I didn't say who that's what, that's a Steve question. Yeah, I was wondering what you Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting there crossing my fingers that whole time. Okay. 
Because <laughs> it's an obvious easy answer, right? Right. So in Bliss, which crew member was not susceptible to... Yes. Okay. Right. I remember the episode. I'm trying to remember the details. Um, it would be the doctor? No. Hmm. Adam? You're asking who was not susceptible to the wormhole aliens? Is that what you're asking? Who was not susceptible to the um, illusion? Everybody thought it was all happy, yay, good, except one person who saw through it. Um, seven? Yes, it was seven. Adam, Mark A. Shepard also appeared on Ron Moore's awesome Not Star Trek show in 2006. What was that called? Um, Battlestar Galactica. Yes, it was Battlestar Galactica. Okay, I told you, lame questions, I'm sorry. Adam S2, moving on. Good Shepherd, Season 6, Episode 20, Production Code 243. Original air date, March 15th, 2000. Directed by Winrick Colby. Story by Deanna Gito. Teleplay by Deanna Gito and Joe Minoski. Music by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Jay Underwood as Mortimer Heron. Michael Rice as William Telfer. Zoya McClellan as Tal Celeste. Tom Morello as Mitchell, and Kimball Jimison as Engineer. After a routine ship-wide efficiency analysis, Seven determines that three of Voyager's crew members are not performing at acceptable levels. Captain Janeway decides to take the three crewmen under her wing and against the advice of Seven brings them along on an astronomical study in the Delta Flyer in order to form a repertoire with them and bring them into the Voyager family fold. Excuse me, Captain. If we find a planet, we're not planning on exploring the surface, are we? That's a stellar nursery. Any planets will be gas giants. They may have moons. Don't worry. We'll run a complete scan for pathogens before we set foot anywhere. And the Delta Flyer is fully equipped to deal with medical emergencies. We'll be fine. Shuttle Bay 1, 0600 hours. Dismissed. Adam, start us off on Good Shepherd. Good Shepherd. Now, um, first half of this episode I thought was pretty strong. I, I, you know, I, I, I think you agree, Brian. You know, I'm... Um, I like kind of like the lower deck stories. I like it kind of when we get like other people in the background, we get these stories. And I think it was one of the kind of the last kind of one of the things that I wished we would have seen more in Voyager because I think they had more opportunity for of it. You know, obviously the same, you know, rough, how many people are on Voyager? About 150 roughly. What's the crew compliment? Does anybody know? Same anyway. in that vicinity, I think. So, I mean, you know, it should be a pretty tight knit after six years it should everybody should know everybody's name at this point you know there should be some sort of interaction not everybody's probably close friends but i kind of would have liked to see more in voyager different characters kind of come and come and go through there but that's neither here nor there so i like the idea of this kind of this lower decks kind of type of idea literally a lower deck with um one of the crewmen he's on deck 15 he's basically at the bottom of the ship so we get to kind of see different characters you know, and we get to see that they've kind of fallen through the cracks. You know, there's, uh, you know, obviously, you know, reasons, you know, these kind of people, they wouldn't have been on the ship very long. Um, what is the crewman's name that was in the theorist? What was his name? I'm sorry, Steve. Um, was that Heron? Uh, Heron, yeah. yeah. Heron was saying, you know, he was only, he, he had to fulfill one year of, um, you know, being on a ship. So the kind of that idea makes sense. You know, you know, you have these people that don't, intend to be explorers for life, you know, they're, it's either their first crew position or they have to fulfill some obligation to, for their career, that kind of thing. So I kind of, I like that idea. I think they did a kind of a good job explaining that coming up in the first half of the episode. Janeway feels that it's her responsibility to kind of bring them into the fold. I like that kind of all that idea. Once they get on the Delta flyer and they go off and they do their mission, it's still pretty good. But the episode kind of lost me when, with the, I don't know what was the, the alien creature that beams into one of the crewmen and it just kind of goes, kind of goes astray for me. That gets kind of sloppy. That said, I mean, I think this episode's okay. I think it just could have, if it would have had a little bit more focus there in the middle towards the end, it could have been a much better episode. Um, I, I don't really know what their foe is. Um, Janeway, the, one of the crewmen obviously disobeys Janeway's orders and kills one of these creatures. There's not really much follow up on that. Um, that's, that seemed to be to be a pretty big deal. So 
that's kind of how I felt it, it, this episode kind of had two halves. It had a very s- strong start and kind of a sloppy end. Kind of like my analysis. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. I mean, it's kind of, they're, I mean, the, the lower decks thing is interesting because we get to see just a part of a part of things that we don't see very often. Just the the way just your everyday folks on the ship interact and what they're dealing with. I thought the characters were interesting, some more than others. I, I really thought the uh, the the um, was it Tal Celeste, the uh, the woman who didn't feel she belonged anymore and was kind of you know down on herself. That was very interesting. It was a very sad character. It's almost like um, someone who, you know, naturally would have headed in another direction after a certain amount of time. They alluded to that, you know, that certain certain a certain percentage of people on the ship would have left the ship and just not made it. But they don't have that option there, and so she's stuck there, just you know, plugging away, doing her best, and um, just just stuck in that situation and not particularly happy. I thought that was an the, you know that's an that's an interesting character uh, for me. Um, so yeah, I see what you're saying with it kind of going um, kind of getting a little nuts when he's possessed, and it's also a little nuts that he's magically cured of being a hypochondriac because of that circumstance. That's a little goofy, but it, you know it, it's it's there, there's you know different things going on here, and it's commendable that Janeway took upon herself to make this her problem. Um, I think it's interesting that she she behaved as if she'd never been to that one section of the ship i think in all that time you probably should know it inside and out being a captain whatever uh those are kind of my thoughts on this i agree that the uh girl tal celeste was was the most interesting character she she seemed she was a lot she was different compared to so many other i think the other two we've seen some variation of them on some other star trek or you know at some point but tal celeste was was pretty unique and her character was so self-aware in a way that made her seem so real uh and like you said sad and and you felt empathy for her and i like that it's not i i didn't feel like the episode wrapped everything up in a nice little bow like i didn't think like oh she's going to be super happy now you know it, right, there, right. there was there was progress um and maybe there's some it you know it illuminated some sort of path for her possibly but it's not like Everything was hunky dory, which was also unusual for an ending. So, it yeah, narratively, you know, it's a little the whole thing with the alien. I agree, it's it's it is messy, and the ending overall is messy and stuff. But but just as an idea that it doesn't end with them, you know, with with unicorns and rainbows, I I, I like that. I like that actually. It 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 seemed in keeping with the entire concept of the lower decks episode, which is, you know, adds to the realism and believability and uh, of daily life here. And then, you know, my general thought on this episode was that I I like that they found kind of a a different angle to do the lower decks because lower decks was you know obviously a fantastic next gen episode that was super influential and maybe we've done it a few times now. So this, this was this kind of different take on it. And I, I liked it. I think that I liked this episode a lot until right up until around the time they left on the, on the Delta flyer. <laughs> uh, and then it starts to be a little bit less interesting. <laughs> Side note, this past Saturday was the 40th anniversary of the motion picture. And I watched Star Trek, the motion picture. And, uh, and I was reminded, I, I really enjoy that movie. Right up about until the time they actually start the mission, <laughs> you know. Once they've actually got all the crew together and Kirk's back in charge and all that, and then they head out, uh, and then from there on out, I think it's just it's it's so boring and it's molasses. But I really enjoy the first whatever that is act or so. And in this episode of Good Shepherd, I, I I like it a lot. Pretty much up up until actually head out but just just that that opening thing of course we didn't mention it but that's really neat this uh I, i'm assuming that was in the script i wonder but you know this whole thing super slice of life where we follow the pet the pad around and you know carrying it on all the different decks and and we see right like janeway looking out her from her ready room and you know we haven't seen somebody we haven't seen that sort of thing on on Voyager. It was neat and effective, and I enjoyed that 
that whole first whatever 20 minutes but that whole concept of of you know seven sitting there telling it's not like she says all right i want to i i called this briefing because i want to tell you about the three slackers on the ship no i mean it, it kind of gets there organically like she's talking about the different divisions and then you know mentions this person and that person uh and then it's janeway who has this idea who it's janeway who turns that meeting from department efficiencies to there are three people on my ship who slipped through the cracks and i'm going to do something about it and i i like that you know it's just another thing where it just seems natural and good and then it seems like this is the kind of thing that has probably happened you know stuff like this happens on lots of different meetings and we don't see those so these are all the kind of reasons that i enjoy it and then once it actually starts to try and try and do the story then i start to lose interest <laughs> What is this episode about? Um, I think this episode is trying to, to say, you know, how to find your way. You know, there are always going to be, not only in your own life, are you going to find you're going to find times where you don't fit in or you not you don't feel like you're on the right path. Um, that's that's each of us in our own individual lives. But I think this kind of episode is trying to talk about when you're when you're on a ship and you're you know your family, your team. There are people that are you know that are going to slip through the cracks, and um, you know you have to. If you want to have a cohesion of a community and family that's something that works together you have to bring everybody along you have to treat everybody the same and you gotta um especially if you're a leader like janeway you have to like you have to be the good shepherd i mean it's it's it's, it's pretty much the the meaning behind this episode to me is kind of it's kind of in your face i mean it's a good leader has to bring everybody along it has to include everybody and treat everybody equally and i um you know it, if you're Starfleet captain and you have your own your own television show, you're probably going to be pretty good at that. So I think that's what they're kind of trying to demonstrate here. Yeah, I think it's basically that everyone everyone matters. You know, I mean, you have the you have the whole. You basically the the purpose of the mission. Do we move on and so on? And you can kind of ignore certain things, or you can acknowledge that every person matters and you do the right thing and, 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 and try to try to bring some kind of fulfillment, some kind of reason for being for these people. And uh, so, yeah, I do think it's kind of in your face and I, I, I don't think it's a fantastic episode, but I think it's good and there's ups and downs, but it, it, it is a, it does have something to say. Yeah. So All right, let's do six degrees for Good Shepherd. Adam has two. Adam, are you going first or second? Um, I'll go first. Zoe McClellan plays crewman Tal Celeste. She will play this character again in the episode The Haunting of Deck 12. Is that this season or next season? I'm going to say next season. <laughs> no, should I give Steve a... No, I won't do that. Uh, it's actually episode 25 of this season. Yeah, that's kind of a tricky question. Steve, Jay Underwood plays Mortimer Heron, the guy that's too smart for his own good. I like this guy. He was an actor in the 80s and 90s, and then he maybe wasn't, you know, didn't take off like he'd hoped, and he became a preacher, and he's a preacher in, in L.A. Huh, uh, but he did a he did a movie that I loved as a kid that I think too many people don't watch. I think it's probably on some streaming service now. The Boy Who Could Fly. Anybody else remember that movie? Don't recall it. Nope. I'm, I'm the only one. The Boy Who Could so. Fly. Well, and he was also the lead, one of the leads in the unreleased Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie, which is so much better than any of the Hollywood studio, any, any of those Fox Fantastic Four movies. Which character was he? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm just going to... That was only a couple, maybe three or four years. Yeah, I remember this. the. I remember what reading about it and stuff, but I didn't... There's a, by the way, there's a fantastic documentary... Uh, I cannot remember what it's called. Um, but there's a really great documentary about it. Hmm. About that, I mean, you can find this. You can find the whole movie on you know okay. YouTube and stuff. Cool. It's just very, very low quality. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the Human Torch. Yes, sir. He was the Human cool. Torch. S Steve has one. Adam has two. Moving on. Live fast and prosper. Season six, episode twenty-one. Production code two forty-two. Original air date, April 19th, 2000. Directed by LeVar Burton. Written by Robin Berger. Music composed by Paul Belergen. Guest cast include Caitlin Hopkins as Dalla, Greg Daniel as Mobar, Francis Guinan as Czar, Dennis Cockrum as Oreck, Scott Lincoln as Minor, 
Timothy McNeil as Miner and Ted Rooney as Varn. The Voyager crew is the victim of identity theft. A clever trio of con artists claiming to be Janeway, Jacote, and Tuvok are making trades all over the quadrant, giving Voyager a bad name. Eventually, the real Janeway and her crew are blamed for these deceptions when the con artists do not deliver the goods as promised. Ultimately, Voyager must bring these imposters to justice. Posing as a Starfleet captain, selling memberships to the Federation. Too bad we didn't think of it, Tuvok. Imagine the resources we could have acquired over the past six years. Indeed. I have to admit, I'm impressed. I wish I could say the same. The great Captain Janeway. Somehow I expected you to be taller. You know what my favorite thing about this episode is? Psoriasis by Tubok. <laughs> no, that's like a second favorite. <laughs> my favorite thing is the title. I love the title of this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's, it, you know, when you read over the title of 170-ish episodes of Voyager, this one I, if you only watched it once when it first aired, you would still know exactly which episode this is. You'd be like, "Yep, I know that's a." I mean, it's just that's a good title, right? It's it's such a great title. I think the title elevates the entire freaking episode because <laughs> I think the episode is it starts off strong, but maybe it doesn't it doesn't quite live up to the opening. But the title keeps you hanging in there. I think the title is that good. I love the title of this episode. Adam, why don't you start us on Live Fast and Prosper? Live Fast and Prosper. Um, I like this episode. Um, it's it's fun. I mean, you know, and it's kind of clever. I don't think we've really ever seen this in Trek before, you know, like a crew impersonating another crew. And it's ripe for this, for Voyager, because they're obviously on their own in the middle of nowhere, in the, obviously, in the Delta Quadrant, so they could be easily impersonated um, in this fashion. Um I think the the people they got to play um, Tuvok, Janeway, and Jacote. I mean, Jacote was the guy who played Jacote wasn't really involved, but the the guy who played Tuvok was great. Um, it's it's really funny the scene, the scenes where he's he's taking it to the max. You know, he's he's full on Vulcan to the point where he's annoying his other his other um, felons. Um, and obviously the the scene at the end of the episode when he when he comes face to face with Tuvok is like you know <laughs> you know he tries to use logic against Tuvok. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't but you can, I love that you can see that he's like he's kind of in awe. It's Tuvok, you know, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> right. he's my hero. Um, so you know that's fun. Um, the the actress who play you know who impersonates um, Janeway, she's good. You know she's a, she's a strong character. So you know she kind of has that. Um, that inner quality that Janeway does. And I think that's why you kind of, when Janeway and her are meet up finally on the brig, you know, there's, I don't know if I would call it res- mutual respect. I don't think that's the right word, but I, you can kind of see that Janeway kind of, kind of likes her in a, in a weird way. Um, um, there, there's also a amusing moment, you know, you get, you know, obviously Neelix and Tom Paris getting duped. These are, you know, these are, they go into that a little, I think they take it a little bit too far with the, um, with the games that they're playing with the doctor, you know, like, Oh, do we still have it? They went a little bit too far, but I mean, it was clever that these two, you know, who are, who were kind of con artists themselves being conned. So I think that was a a good choice by the writers to choose those two to, to be conned by the, by these guys. Um, I don't know really what the episode's about. Maybe Steve will be able to um, get into that later in this, um, in this recording, but, um, I had fun with it. It's it's kind of a change of pace. Just kind of fun. There's nothing too serious about it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I felt about it. Steve. Yeah, I think the in a, in a way the um, the the B story of Tom and Neelix kind of adds some kind of humanity to it in a way. I mean, I think they they, they did really well with that part because I think I think the the notion is unique and it, and it indeed it only could be done with Voyager in terms that that's what's special about it is this this only works with this series the others it, this wouldn't work with yeah i mean these are the two reformed guys right yeah 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 and so you know they that kind that aspect is is something is something new especially early on those who viewed this from the beginning you know they were at odds with each other very early on in the series and so there's kind of an extra dimension to that i think that's that's kind of that's that's pretty interesting i think the uh the other stuff, I mean, and sometimes it gets a little, it's a little thick, you know, the, 
the the BS or whatever the the sales tactics or whatever you want to call it of these guys. You know, it gets it's kind of thick. You know, but it's an interesting idea. We've certainly never seen it before. Anyone trying to imitate them because we can't do that anywhere when anyone knows who anyone is. So that's that's why this only works in Voyager. But um, I like that. I like I like the uh, like I alluded to earlier the the Tuvok making up the stuff during that one <laughs> scene. I think that's pretty hilarious and uh, improvisation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so there's a lot of funny scenes. I, I don't think this is something fantastic, but it is entertaining and it's and it's unique and there there are, there are good moments, you know. And, and the B story really is something that elevates the rest of it, which not a lot of B stories can do. So that's that's my thoughts on this. But imagine if this episode was called like Sanctuary or something. <laughs> it wouldn't really work. Right, right. It's, it's right. True. I mean, replacing one word, I mean, and it makes that big of a difference. It's you know. yeah, it's great. It's the title. It's <laughs> this episode is all about the title for me. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. It's a clever episode. I'll, I'll give it definitely give it that. Yeah. Who who wrote this one, Steve? It is Robin Berger. Whoever that is. Story and everything, right? It wasn't like some separate people that came up with the story or something. Right. Right. That's interesting. I wonder if this was like a, a pitch or something. I didn't see that in my uh, research. I'll look that up. Yeah, so it's just a, a, it's just, I think it's, yeah, it's a solid idea more than anything. And of course, it's always a great way to open a, an episode. Well, you were talking about the, the thickness of the, the sales pitch. I mean, it was kind of amusing when they brought that one guy onto the onto their Delta Flyer, and he's like, well, this technology is not really all that great. You know, <laughs> this is pretty <laughs> The scene where where Neelix talks with her in the brig is probably goes on a little bit too long. I think you pretty much anybody sees through that. That yeah, because we've already had the scene where he's feeling bad about being duped and stuff. So but that was the con, right? You're kind of expecting it. It's not that it's bad. It's just you know, it's it just goes on for a long time. I think that if it had been shorter, but that's where he was trying to con her. A minute shorter. Right? That's, yeah. right. Yeah. But I'm saying because you see it coming, it doesn't need to be right. that long. We don't. He doesn't need to try and. We don't need to see that much of him trying to sell her. If it's just going to end with her, you know, knocking, trying to knock him out anyway. So, but that's a minor comment. It's a minor comment. I get a little bit confused, plot-wise, exactly what happens near the end there. I mean, I understand that the doctor is impersonating her, but at what point did they switch? Yeah, it was kind of weird. Yeah, I, I didn't see what that didn't make sense to me, but again. Yes, these are uh, minor comments. So overall, I, I do I do uh, enjoy this one. So what is it about? Identity, knowing who you are, right, Steve? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of where I kind of fell short. I didn't, <laughs> I don't really know, like, you know, what they're trying exactly trying to say in this episode. I mean, I don't know. I mean, true to who you are, but that's kind of a stretch. I mean, this is kind of one of those episodes that's just kind of fun. You know, it's just kind of a different take on you know. Voyager, like, you know, what we've said, you know, this is kind of a story that's unique to Voyager that can probably only be done in Voyager. Um, so um, my feeling is it's just um, don't be a con artist, um, know who you are, and um, yeah, have fun. That's kind of what I took away from the episode. Yeah, I don't know that it's really something particularly deep, although it does have a lot to say about the nature of um, the roles one plays and, 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 trying to you know the 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 nature of deception and and uh that it's you know you it's always going to come back i mean if you're constantly just telling a story in order to get something you know there that's not there's no long game in that you know and so i I think it says something a little bit about that and then you have that b story where the reformed con artists are just seeing if they still have the skills, but it's all kind of tongue in cheek and they they're established on a, on a place where there's much deeper, deeper relationships now and so forth. So, I mean, it's touching on that kind of stuff, but yeah, mostly it's just a, a fun kind of romp kind of episode. All right, let's do six degrees for live fast and prosper. Adam has two. Steve has one. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. Caitlin Hopkins plays Dala, the Captain Janeway wannabe. She played Kalana in the DS9 fifth season episode, The Ship. What species was Kalana? Oh, boy. This is one where when I picture her speaking, I can see her as this other character so clearly. Oh, okay. Way more clearly than I could see her as Janeway. Or Janeway wannabe, whatever. Dala. Sure. 
Oh gosh. I'm trying to think here. It's not coming to me. No. Adam? The ship? Um, DS9. I'm just going to say Bajor. I'm just kind of guessing. No. Vorta. Vorta. Okay. Remember? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, just trying to get okay. That okay. Crash. Gemidar ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam. Francis Guinan plays Czar, the Chakotay wannabe, in Enterprise's second season. Archer Reed and Sato visit a planet undercover where Guinan's character, <laughs> General Gossis, ran a military base. Why was the away team visiting the planet covertly? Um, it was a, I don't know, it was a sub-warp, pre-warp yes. civilization. Yep. Pre-warp society. Look at that. Cool. I thought that was a hard question, but you got it, right, sir? So Adam takes it for the day. Well, we had a lot of uh, sad hmm. uh, events in the world of Star Trek recently since our last podcast. Well, we did the one positive thing, that 40th anniversary of Star Trek, the motion picture, that was cool. I, I, I may say some negative things here and there about motion picture, but I'll tell you what the main thing I'm, the thing I'm most fascinated about is just its production. Uh, I've read books on it and, you know, kajillions of interviews and podcasts and it's it's so fascinating to me the way that movie got made and the that it did get made and the and that it so barely <laughs> made its release date and all that so uh i i enjoy the behind the scenes as i'm watching it in a way unlike many other movies so that was cool experiencing that watching that on the 40th anniversary unfortunately we lost dorothy fontana dc fontana the writer extraordinaire of original series and next gen and DS nine. We lost the actor that played Charlie X and well, I was going to say most significantly, but I mean, DC Fontana is up there. Maybe so maybe most um, visibly Mm -hmm. Renee Abershanois. So let's talk about Renee for a minute. So first of all, the fact that Abershanois died was it was a shock to me. I mean, I was, that was a real shock. I didn't even know he was sick, but it, he, he was 79. He died of, of some form of lung cancer. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he is the first, you know, series lead from Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, or Enterprise to die. I believe that's correct. Yes. So that's that makes it a big deal to me. I saw him many times over the years at different conventions and things. And he was always just the nicest guy. And my favorite experience seeing him, they don't, nobody does these kinds of things, but it used to be like in the nineties and two thousands, maybe just cause I didn't live in a big city. Like I lived in smaller cities. Sometimes I would go to these conventions. I remember like when I was in the army and I would go to, I would go to con- Star Trek conventions in Austin or San Antonio. And they would just be like, there would be like one person there. I was in at the Navy base uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, and I went to a Star Trek convention, and they had a guest, John Delancey. You know, <laughs> I went yeah. to one of these things, and the guest—that's it—was Rene Abergenois. There was like the expo, the dealers' D room that was small, and then Rene Abergenois was there and talked for an hour and signed autographs for an hour, and that was it. And the cool thing about those, those are such so small, such small things. You got to spend more time with them. You got to actually talk with them for a bit. You really got to see what they were like as a person. And he was just the sweetest, nicest guy. He was so nice. So, so I saw him over the other times over the years, but that's the one that I seem to remember the most, which also I'm sure was, I mean, I'm sure that was the first time I saw him. But I remember somebody asked him if, if he thought he would ever get to play the character again. So it must have been after the show was off the air. Yeah. Um, and I remember he said, the one thing he heard that there could possibly be something to maybe would be a TV movie. But even that, he didn't think so. But I just remember people were asking, you know, people asked about Benson and MASH and the other stuff that he was so well known for. But he he was just so, I don't know, gracious and nice. And, and especially now, you know, I've, I work post in the film industry and I've been in LA for almost two decades now, uh, 17 years I've been here and there are a lot of not nice people. <laughs> this industry is kind of well known for having a lot of jerks. I mean, I'm sorry that that's true, but it is true. And I've definitely met my share of them. So when somebody is genuinely 
thoughtful and considerate and kind to everybody, they really stick out. And Rene Abergenois seemed to be like one of those people. And that's just about the nicest thing. I, I, God, I would love for people to say that about me when I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. What was the first thing you remember seeing him in? Well, the first thing I remember, remember, remember the show Benson? Yeah, that's what I said a second ago. I remember people asking him about Benson. But the first thing I remember was uh, MASH. Now, I was not alive when MASH came out, but I definitely remember seeing MASH when I was too young to appreciate it. Like, as a little kid, I remember seeing it on it was TV. The movie. He was in the movie, right? Not right, the, he was in the movie. He wasn't in the TV show. Been, did he play McCoy? It's been so long. Um, Father McCoy? Um, I think he was the priest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Father, Father McCoy. Yeah, yeah, the priest. Yeah, the father. That's right. Yeah. yeah, well, he was in several of those Robert Altman movies. Yeah, I remember him on Benson. I, I definitely watched Benson when I was a kid. I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but I watched it enough when I was a kid that I can easily see him and Ethan Phillips on that show and Robert Goulamay. Goulamay, how do you remember that guy? Right. I can't recall him. So, yeah, he really, you know, if in the 70s, he was the Robert Altman guy. In the 80s, he was the Benson guy. And in the 90s, he was the DS9 guy. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, he had. I mean, had an amazing career. I remember him in that. Wasn't he in that Roland Emmerich movie uh, with uh, Mel Gibson, The Patriot? Oh yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Of, that's right. Roland Emmerich was is a Star Trek fan, so he kept he kept using Star Trek people. You know, um, uh, Brent Spiner, Independence Day and stuff. Well, like I said, you know, the the nicest thing I can say about him is just that he seemed like such a nice guy every time I saw him. Yeah, I saw him at uh, some conventions as well, and and some locally too in the Kansas City area. And uh, I remember before I lived here permanently, at least one convention I saw him at where he was one of a few guests. And actually, I have a I'd kind of forgotten until you were talking about it, but I have a um, he drew this little thing that looked like a uh, shapeshifter kind of melting, and then signed it. It was kind of his thing, and for a very nominal fee, you could buy that you know and i have that somewhere in a box yeah nice yeah so yeah i remember yeah and uh dc fontana um i think that star trek fans know how uh pivotal she was but maybe mm-hmm. the average non-star trek person doesn't but when you look at your the list of your favorite original series episodes the episodes that really defined what star trek was it's a short list of people that were writing those things Gene Roddenberry, obviously. Gene Kuhn. DC Fontana. There are some other people, but they're more like just one script here or there. Those people? DC Fontana, the, her list is nuts. It's crazy when you look at the at the list of, of the episodes that she wrote for the original series. Um, I guess most people th- remember think of her more as having so much to do with uh, creating Spock um, not creating him, but, you know, fleshing out his character. And, of course, well, evidence of that is the animated series she wrote that is the, is the one episode of the animated series that everybody, you know, agrees is great uh, yesteryear. I don't think I ever saw her in person. I certainly saw lots and lots of interviews with her. She always seemed a little bit, eh, prickly is too strong a word, but did, did you, I feel like maybe, Steve, did you tell me you saw her at maybe the Grand Slam or something? You know, I need to look back and see who was all at that first one I went to um, back ages ago. But I, I feel like I did. You know, I seems lo- that seems right. I was at uh, the first convention I ever went to was the um, Grand Slam in uh, the mid nineties, ninety six, was it? And so and that one is in Pasadena. Yeah, yeah. It seems like I I've seen her. Uh, it probably was there. Yeah. Yeah, and then. Um... The Charlie X actor, I can't, why can't I remember his name? Yeah, it's pretty amazing when you do one role and over a half century later, even though you did lots of other stuff, uh, you're on the, like the front page of CNN, right? You know, mm-hmm. For that, because of that one role. It's Robert Walker Jr. Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Robert Walker. Yeah, every time I, I just picture him like slapping Rand on the butt. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember later, I didn't see Easy Rider until maybe a decade ago or 15 years ago. And yeah. I noticed he was in that. Yeah. 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 Which would have been not long after he did start. Right. Right. Yeah. 
so yeah tough year but i think like like i said i think the one that hit me the hardest of those is just this idea that you know Rene Abershonois being the first of any star trek other than the original series mm-hmm. uh, to lose somebody yeah like you know there's there will never again be uh on stage at creation ladies and gentlemen the cast of ds9 that's never yeah. that can't happen again ever right mm-hmm. and then of course coming in the same year that we just got this really fun you know look back documentary which of course he's in and he's great um so yeah well okay so here's our plan uh we're going to be back in two weeks we're going to post the ep- an episode the day after christmas is on a wednesday right yeah so we'll be posting an episode it should be the day after christmas and i think we're going to be ta- talking about we're not going to be doing our usual voyager episode review it's going to be our holiday episode and we're probably going to focus on talking about star wars Episode nine, the rise of Skywalker. We might have some other end of year comments in there, but that's probably going to be what it's mostly about. So spoiler warnings in advance, but I'm sure I'll remind you at the beginning of that episode as well, that you won't want to listen to that episode until you've seen the next star Wars movie. Daniel star Wars boxing day episode. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, a couple weeks after that, two or three weeks after that, we'll be back. We'll figure it out to uh, continue our Voyager conversation. Uh, and around that time, it'll be Picard before we know it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Very exciting time. So, folks, thank you for spending an hour with us. You can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion, where you can see I sent tweeted out a picture of the LP, of the vinyl that I was listening to <laughs> for Star Trek The Motion Picture on Saturday. Um, let's see. Our Email address is trekcompanion at gmail.com. If you want to send us your thoughts on Star Wars, get it to us by um, Monday, the 23rd of December. And I'll include them. Let's see. I guess that's everything. Yep. So thanks again. And until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.